Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Would you kindly join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, as we open your word, open us. Open us to bring ourselves fully to each and every word we hear from you. Open our eyes to see you in the world. Open our ears to hear your small, still voice. Open our minds to get past our preconceived notions. And open our hearts to let you in. Amen. Our sermon today is, our scripture today is an interesting one. I'm going to read to you selected verses from Joshua 6 and starting at the very end of Joshua 5. The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I am handing Jericho over to you, along with its king and soldiers. You shall take your people and march around the city, all the warriors circling the city once. And this you shall do for six days in a row. With seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, the priests blowing the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And all the people shall charge straight ahead. And that's just what they did. And on that seventh day, when they had marched around the city seven times, at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, the Lord has given you this day. The city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab and her family shall live because she hid the messengers we sent. And as for you, keep away all the gold and silver and vessels of bronze and iron. They shall only go into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it 
And then they devoted to destruction by the edge of the sword all in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys. But not before they saved Rahab and her family. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me again, please? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The other day, as I do almost every day now that it's so hot, my dog Domino and I got out and we're taking our daily walk. And I began thinking about the phrase, holy curiosity. The sermon series Betsy started. And I realized Domino is the poster dog for curiosity. He smells every smell along the way. He pulls me off. One day pulled me into some poison ivy. He stops every dog on the trail and wants to love on him. And if the owner won't let him sniff that dog, he gets very upset. So let's see together what we can sniff out about this passage. The recent violence in Uvalde and Buffalo has been heavy on my heart. So reading about this violence sort of turned my stomach, especially God's purported role in it. Belief in a cruel God makes a cruel person, Thomas Paine said. I have learned that unthinking acceptance that God ordered and, ex- and directed this genocide can color one's image of the God I love. A sad reality I encountered far too often in hospice work. So the very idea that the God I love would not only condone but direct the violent killing of man, woman, and child in this story of total destruction sort of sends chills up my spine. I believe the inspired word of God to be God breathed, and with human fingerprints all over it. So we need to explore the who, when, and why of this one. Scholars tell us the authors were the Israeli people, no surprise there. But it wasn't written until centuries later during the exile far from Canaan in both time and space. The people naturally felt lost, alienated, weak, even powerless. When they looked back, trying to figure out what they'd done wrong to end up here, they started writing down the oral stories they'd heard all their lives to help them cope with the challenges of the current days. Significant evidence shows that this rendition of the Jericho story was not 
really how it actually happened. First of all, archaeology shows the Israelis entered into Canaan gradually, not all at once. And the second thing is that the Canaanite tribes were not eliminated in a fell swoop. Later scripture often mentions their continued existence. So the manner in which it happened must not be the point. The why of this war story is clearly to build confidence in this shaken people that the God who had delivered them from slavery so long ago could and would redeem them again and again and return them to their promised land. This weak, suppressed nation needed tales which helped them cope and develop hope. The wild story of a full week of circular marching and horn blowing and loud shouts to dissolve fortress walls into dust clearly made its point that it was God who did this, as only God could do. It was God who saved them before and God who would save them now. Its intent is not to accurately portray history as it happened. Rather, it was written to help us all cope and develop hope in the hard times. As Peter Enns puts it, writing about the past was never simply about understanding the past for its own sake, but about the shaping and molding and creating of old stories to speak to the present. The Bible looks like it does because God lets God's children tell the story. So what do we do with such violent narratives as these? Blame them, blame them on a time where violence was else, everywhere? It's tempting, but it's hard to do if we're being honest. Today, violence seems pretty deeply saturated in the human soul. Look at Russia and Ukraine killing of abortion doctors, January 6th, the mass shootings which come far too often. I'm afraid I have been guilty of ignoring such stories. Just act like they're not there. And so does the church sometimes with the lectionary, which often omits parts which don't feel nice. I get that. My favorite psalm is Psalm 139. I love those parts where it says, Where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. It draws me up and leads me out of my worries, puts things in perspective, reminds me that God is everywhere, already present. And then comes verse 19. Oh, that you would kill the wicked. I hate them with perfect hatred. It sort of spoils the mood. However, 
When I brush it off and refuse to even look at it, I numb myself to the natural and normal feelings of revulsion. Brene Brown says we cannot selectively numb our emotions. I've noticed in me that she's right. If we numb one, we numb them all. And our emotions are what all humans now and back to the ancients share. Ignoring them cuts us off from some important sources of knowing, like intuition, instinct, conscience, even critical thinking. We need all our faculties sharp and operational when we read scripture. We must be able to trust our God-given conscience and intuition to tell us what's true. Otherwise, our faith can become parroting other people rather than actively discerning what God is telling me. And that make us easy targets for authoritarians who want to tell us how to think and feel and which scriptures matter and which ones don't. People who exploit our emptiness for their gain. This was how Christians defended slavery, using scripture to justify their choices and behavior. So I choose to remain bothered, to feel what I feel when I read this text of terror, as Phyllis Tribble names it. For it sounds like a defense of genocide to me. And I'm not the only one who's ever read it that way. In 1637, Captain John Mason burned alive hundreds of the Pequot tribe in Massachusetts, claiming sufficient light from Scripture to justify his actions. As I recently told a former congregant, I see Scripture as being meant to change us, not help us feel good about our preconceived notions. And to potentially be changed, we must bring our whole selves to the text, along with the Holy Spirit to guide us. Violence is endemic in our society, but that does not make it godly. And perhaps the fact that these stories exist can serve to continue to remind and horrify me and do what I can toward eliminating some of the horrors of today, like some senators and House members did this week in passing a bill. Someone told me not long ago, in fact, it was right after Uvalde happened, summon your thoughts and prayers and let them make you weep. And keep it up. Calvin said we interpret scripture 
by reading one passage through the lens of all we know of the whole of it. Now, this does not mean relegating Old Testament stories to the trash heap. It means looking at them through the lens of Jesus, for he quoted the scriptures often. And if Jesus' life on earth was God living out a human life as it was meant to be lived, that is, if Jesus was God as we claim, then Jesus' choices in life tell us a lot. Jesus is what God is like, as Rachel Held Evans put it. And Jesus chose not to defend himself with AR-15s. Abbas was recently suggested he should have when they came for him. Rather, he voluntarily submitted himself to the most horrible death I can imagine. Maybe holy curiosity is a little different from what I see with Domino on every single walk. Holy curiosity means being willing to hold your image of God steady as you read or hear scriptures read. Then as we explore and learn with our whole selves, even when we sniff out parts of scripture we can only read with horror, we open ourselves to see what God has to teach us here. We can choose to let that horror motivate us to work for justice, which is exactly what those thoughts and prayers did for me. When we allow scripture to affect us, even change us, we have allowed the spirit to do its work. The Bible looks like it does because God lets God's children tell the story. These children were hurting. They desperately needed ways to hold on to their collective memories of the past to help them cope and develop hope for the future. May we do the same. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.